This is a hypothetically great podcast. This is Tech News for MBAs. I'm Professor Paul Kennedy. It is Friday, March 25th, 2022. What's up? Uh, we had last week off for spring break at Columbia Business School. This week, class was back in session with the first session of Intro to UX. First time teaching that on the new Morningside campus. Uh, UX is obviously a topic of great interest to me. And um, yeah, I've just been thinking a lot about experience and really how experience is by definition subjective. It's something that happens on the receiving end, not on the sending end. And so as UX designers, the best we can hope to do is to sort of, you know, output the right sorts of stimuli that then upon input uh, elicit a certain type of response or experience uh, in, you know, the user, customer, whoever. Um, but UX really is in the eye of the beholder. And um, today's episode is all about experience and how technology is going deeper and deeper into that subjective experience and how we might be able to influence the inner lives of people inside their own minds and then back out again at the world. Got two headlines that really kind of were swirling around in my own mind uh, that are seemingly completely unrelated, but uh, I think help to sort of draw out this trend. And as we think about the impending metaverse, being able to capture our five senses and integrate digital into physical, all of these sorts of things are really going to become more and more important and more and more kind of interweaved into our normal day-to-day lives. And speaking of the metaverse, I am actually moderating a panel this afternoon at the AliCon conference, which this year is online. Uh, and if you're interested in getting tickets, it's nycallycon.com, N-Y-C-A-L-L-E-Y-C-O-N.com. And there are amazing speakers and panels the entire day. Uh, my panel will be at 3 p.m. Eastern time called Metaverse, the new reality. And um, the panelists that will be joining me are from Meta, uh, Autodesk, Echo 3D. It's going to be a really amazing conversation that I am super excited about. Um, And moderating is really actually more fun than even being on the panel because I get to listen to what these other really smart people have to say about the metaverse. Um, And I just love that metaverse is important enough to be included at a tech conference. So that's a milestone in itself. As always, I ask that you please leave a rating or review 
even if you have in the distant past, I would ask you to do it again so that some of the reviews on the podcast stores are more recent. Uh, it's a small thing that you can do to help me get this show up higher in the search rankings. And with that, let's get into our first headline. A new paper was published in Nature documenting a study where a completely paralyzed patient was able to communicate via a brain-computer interface. What is a brain-computer interface, you might ask, also known as a BCI? Well, if you think about a non-brain-computer interface, like a normal computer interface, you might think of something like a keyboard or a mouse or a multi-touch screen like we have on our phones. And this is another way to interface with a computer directly from your brain. And so for all intents and purposes, what you need to imagine is something that takes a signal from your brain directly and then is able to control a computer with that signal. That could be invasive, like actually surgically implanting something into or next to your brain. It could also be some other sort of hardware that detects different sorts of signals from your scalp. And in this case, this was a 34-year-old man with a very severe case of ALS who had slowly lost control of all motor function even his ability to voluntarily open his eyes. Inside, though, his brain remained intact in the sense that he still had full awareness of what was happening. He has thoughts. I mean, imagine the torture of this condition. It really is unfathomable to think about. And here, scientists were able to actually implant new types of hardware directly into his brain that allowed him to communicate. And this was a procedure that took a really long time to get right, of course, just on the preparation side. But even after they implanted it, they had to, through a lot of trial and error, figure out exactly how to get this thing to work. And it wasn't until about three months after implanting this that they finally cracked the code and in the end, what they were able to do is have this person think about different eye movements and certain eye movements were associated with different letters of the alphabet. And this is something that the patient had learned before losing uh, that motor function in his eyes. And so at some point, the rest of his body might have been paralyzed, but he was still able to have control of his eyes and had learned sort of almost like a sign language where different positions of the eye correlated to different letters of the alphabet so that he could spell out words and phrases that he wanted to say. Now, he'd lost the ability to actually move his eyes, but he could still think about moving his eyes. Right now, you can do this yourself. Keep your eyes stationary, but just imagine moving them to the right um, and that's essentially what he's doing. In his case, I think it's not just imagining he was doing the thing you would do if you were trying to move your eyes to the right. Um, it's just his eyes 
didn't actually respond, but they didn't need to because the computer brain interface, the BCI, was able to intercept that signal, bring it over to the computer, and then translate it into the intended letter. And letter by letter, he was able to spell out different words, phrases, sentences, and communicate with the doctors that were doing the study, but also with his family. Some of the things he said are funny and heartwarming and honestly will bring you to tears. Um, simple requests like what he wants to eat or that his eyes were dry and that they should lubricate them more often or where to put his head on the pillow, things that he was previously unable to communicate, but also the quotes in the study of him talking to his four-year-old son uh, about different Disney movies or um, things that he wanted to do together with his family. Um, it's really just uh, an insane thing that someone has to be in this position in the first place, but also such an amazing breakthrough that technology was able to uh, allow him to communicate and hang out with his family um, is really just miraculous. Now, of course, this is an amazing piece of technology and uh, a breakthrough in the first place, but it begs a larger question around the future potential of BCIs. One of Elon Musk's lesser known companies is called Neuralink, which he founded a few years ago, specifically working on brain computer interfaces. And again, a lot of the early use cases are going to be for people that have some sort of condition where having a BCI available to them would be life-changing, like in this case. But in the future, the idea is that we all might be using BCIs in different ways. And it also is interesting to think about here you have someone who has to type out letter by letter, but could you eventually get to the point where I can think of a word and the computer knows that it is that word or that I could just think complete sentences and the computer could write it out for me? And then, of course, if you continue down that rabbit hole, you start to think, well, why do we even need language in the first place? If I want a sip of water, I know that before I actually form the words, I want a sip of water. And could the computer somehow uh, read and relay the thought itself, not in language, but in sort of feeling, or I don't even know what word to use there, um, but somehow translate the raw thoughts into words rather than us needing to spell out word by word or where we are now, letter by letter. And thinking just about sort of the ability to transpose thoughts or even feelings uh, from one brain essentially to another with a computer as an intermediary um, is a really wild thing to think about. Tim Urban of Wait But Why wrote a great piece about Neuralink and BCIs a few years ago. I highly recommend it. A few years ago, I got really into this topic and bought the textbook called Brain Computer Interfacing in Introduction. I recommend that less. 
but it really was a great primer on everything having to do with BCIs and the neuroscience behind this technological innovation. In the future, we might not need devices at all to communicate with one another. We might be able to communicate essentially brain to brain. And what does it mean when you can do that and you have this incredibly high fidelity communication instead of me thinking about something or feeling something or seeing and hearing, experiencing something myself, and then translating that into language that then your brain interprets that language and tries to imagine for itself what that original experience might have been like. What if I could just transfer the experience in its full fidelity to you directly and you could see and hear what I was seeing and hearing the way today we might send a video back and forth? Or what if you could feel what I was feeling instead of saying uh, the words to describe that emotion? What if you could just viscerally feel it? And um, what happens when you have all of these brains connected? Is that really the future of the internet in the end? Um, that we have sort of a hive mind of all human brains connected together working in concert? I have no idea. But um, there are real scientists and technologists working on those exact things, on the building blocks that start down that road. And that brings us to our second headline, which again, at first glance, might seem totally unrelated, but you'll see how I'm going to tie it together. For the first time ever, the NBA broadcast a basketball game using volumetric video. Volumetric video, <laughs> try saying that five times fast. Volumetric video is this really amazing technology that actually I've been thinking about now for a while, but I didn't have a name for it. I wrote a piece in the fall of 2020 called The Future of Photos Isn't Cameras. And this was right after Apple announced iPhone 12 Pro, which included LiDAR. LiDAR takes a scan of the space that you're in using infrared light so the human eye can't see that light and then an infrared camera can read that light and detect the distance of different objects and the shape of different objects basically get a 3d scan of a space and what volumetric video does is it uses that scan to recreate a photorealistic scene uh, essentially turning reality into a video game. So imagine that you had a table uh, in the shape of, you know, a rectangle. And it's a wooden table with a certain color and certain sort of wooden texture. So what it does is it takes photos of that table at different angles using uh, normal sorts of cameras, but also different sensors to understand which parts of the table are which textures and colors. And you can think of that almost like a skin for that table. Then it uses tools like LiDAR to actually create a 3D object, a 3D representation in the software of what that table is shaped like, how big it is, 
the shape, its position in the room or the space. And then what it's doing is it's applying that skin onto that table, which is funny because if you were building a table from scratch, like you were making a Pixar movie, uh, what you would do is create the shape and size of the table, and then you would apply sort of a skin to it and you would choose the different color wood and whatever. Um, and you might even do that by taking real photos of a piece of wood and sort of applying it onto this 3D table. So this is all happening in real time. And then what that allows you to do is have a 3D object, an animated object, essentially, uh, a computer graphic that is the table from reality. But now you can do with it the sorts of things you would do with a 3D object. And that means that you can actually see that table through a virtual camera. So when you think about a virtual camera, if you've ever watched a Pixar movie and stayed through the credits, you'll see that these movies have cinematographer, director of photography, uh, lighting professionals, et cetera, et cetera. There are virtual cameras and virtual lights in the 3D scene, in the computer-generated world, um, because the 3D world, let's say the table here, is just an object. But the question is, where do you want to see that object from? So even though right now you might be standing on one side of the table, you could move the virtual camera around to the other side and essentially see the back of the table, even though with your physical eyes, you could only see the front of the table. I know this sounds weird and kind of heady, um, that's because it is, but now what the NBA has done is they've actually filmed, if you want to call it that, uh, shot a live volumetric video of a basketball game in real time and then allowed viewers to see that basketball game being played not through the camera lens, but through the virtual camera lens, applying these sort of virtual skins quite literally to the players, where the players, their shapes uh, and positions are being tracked just like the table around the court, and their bodies, their jerseys, their skin, like their human skin, their hair, their facial features and expressions are being applied onto those body-like 3D shapes, not to mention the court, the baskets, the hoop, the ball, etc. And the result is really crazy. It looks like you're watching a video game. It looks like NBA 2K and the graphics sort of look like a video game, but the cameras can do all sorts of crazy things as if there was an army of drones, you know, on the court kind of flying in between players and following the ball and doing all sorts of really cool things and replays that really would just be impossible otherwise. And I don't think they did it for this game, but you could imagine an experience where you as the viewer of the game could really go right onto the court and each person watching could actually choose their own sort of path. So you could just kind of walk down the court, let's say in a virtual reality headset as it's being played uh, and the players are all around you, but um, you are just sort of a voyeur into that scene. It's 
really kind of crazy to think about. Um, and this is just the first kind of prototype of what this might look like, but it's really, really exciting. So how does this tie into the BCI story? Well, to me, these are just different examples of how we're making progress on fidelity. And what I mean by fidelity here is representing something that has happened or is going to happen or a communication that you want to happen um, in as high a quality and a lossless quality as possible. So we talked about me sort of having an idea and needing to communicate that to you via language as the intermediary. Here, instead of capturing a scene through the single lens of a camera or switching between a few pre-determined uh, cameras, you are capturing the entire scene in a raw way that can be experienced basically from anywhere in that scene at any time. And even after the fact, you could go back through the recording and see it through a different angle through a different camera. You could apply different lighting, in theory, different skins. So um, again, forget the human skin part because that's too creepy. But now I want to change the color of the player's jerseys or something. Or I want to make the basketball rainbow colored. Um, those are simple examples of the sorts of things you could do with volumetric video. And you could do that post facto, but you could even do that in real time. So as something's happening, you could be seeing it in a different way. And when we think about the metaverse and augmented reality, um, there are already examples, again, of prototypes where you could walk through the scene of your life, but it can look quite different because you're not actually seeing it. You're seeing a computer representation of it. And so instead of a video game like Minecraft or Roblox or something where the whole world is virtual, here the world is real, but you're not seeing the realness. You're seeing this interpretation of that real world, which unlocks all of this digital potential uh, to be layered on top of it or to swap things out. And the possibilities are kind of endless there. So I think um, this theme of fidelity and really fooling your five senses into imagining something else where instead of just FaceTiming you and showing you around, hey, look how cool this is, you could actually become me and actually you could see the scene differently than I am. So I'm FaceTiming you from a mountaintop and I'm looking this way, but you could be looking the other way and experiencing what it's like to be on that mountaintop uh, and eventually, instead of doing that through a device, you might be able to do that through a direct brain-to-brain -brain connection, which, of course, is going through some sort of device. But, I mean, instead of capturing the video or the scan and then you seeing it on a screen, imagine it could come in my eyes and then uh, be sort of beamed directly into your brain as if it were your eyes seeing it in the first place, but along the way, you could introduce digital artifacts and uh, augmentation into the scene. It's, um, it's really wild stuff. And we are seeing the clues here. Again, the breadcrumbs of this being pieced together 
And over time, we'll look back and be like, oh, yeah, that game that the Nets played, that was a stepping stone towards this world of uh, scanning reality and replaying it digitally rather than necessarily seeing it with our own eyes. And just to take it full circle, imagine someone who can't see, who is blind, being able to plug into their brain and showing them the scene through this sort of technology, delivering that uh, not only from a screen to their eyes, then to their brain, but directly to their brain. Check out the links in the show notes if you want to see some of that video footage yourself. I'm Professor Paul Canetti, and I will see you next week for more tech news for MBAs. This is a really good podcast. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>